Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 36. So the last time I had this guest on, it was episode 10, and she said, I've been very busy, but in the best way possible. So I'm back with Ashton Marr, and she was doing a lot of work with the Washtenaw County Sheriff's Office, and then also with the Washna Recovery Advocacy Project, right? So I will let her introduce you because there's some changes in her life lately, and then we're going to turn our attention to restorative justice for, I don't know, a little while. We'll talk about that, and then we'll kind of wrap up the way we usually do. So this is our show, and welcome to it, Ashton. Thanks, Chidima. Yeah, I am now a former outreach worker from for the Washtenaw County Sheriff's Office, but um, obviously the RAP, the Washtenaw Recovery Advocacy Project, still has a strong partnership with them. I'm now full-time with the Advocacy Project. I'm the program coordinator. So thank you again for having me on. It's good to see you again. Totally. It's so good to see you. I feel like Happy New Year's in order. <laughs> because we haven't seen each other, I don't think, since last year when... Yeah. We uh, connected over substance use disorder and just kind of talking about so many different things. But today we are back to talk about restorative justice. So Ashton, what what does that mean? I think it's, it's a, a less punitive form of justice. It's more about solving problems and being able to move forward and, and reintegrate that person into society in a positive way way for them instead of behind bars or without any any connection to resources that they need to to change their lives totally yeah I was talking with uh, another guest last week and we were kind of taught touched on this a little bit and I had a guest um, sometime earlier this year and she was the survivor of sexual assault <clears throat> And she teaches yoga to incarcerated people. And she was able to do some really powerful work um, in prisons by not only teaching the yoga, but talking to these men, men who had been convicted of sexual assault and abuse. And so I don't know that those people are necessarily getting out very soon. However, there are definitely segments of population that have been incarcerated for, I would say, lesser crimes. Not that it doesn't cause harm to the community, mm-hmm. but if they were rehabilitated rather than just incarcerated, they could definitely add value to their communities, right? Right, right. Well, in, in restorative justice programs or, or programs in that vein, have have been shown to be effective too. I know that that locally they've been some of the law enforcement agencies around here have been looking into a program called the LEAD program and I don't remember law enforcement assisted diversion something. Okay. I don't recall mm-hmm. exactly what it stands for, but it's based in there it started in Seattle. Okay. And that was you know basically like the low level nonviolent offenders connecting them with with community resources, things that they needed, you know, um, uh, addiction treatment, things like that, to to try and prevent them from from ending up in the system or, or that revolving door, you know. And, and Washington County has an incredibly high rate of recidivism. I think it's the highest in the area. Wow. So 
what are some things that we can do to, to actually help these folks instead of, you know, I mean, that revolving door thing is expensive for everybody. It's totally. costly, the human cost of it <laughs> um, and, and the community as well, you know. Yeah, and you were right. So I looked it up, friends. So it's leadkingcounty.org, and it's law enforcement assisted diversion. So it's a pre-booking diversion pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, so like Ashton said, some lower level offenders that fit uh, in terms of a belief that they can be rehabilitated. Uh, and the police, it's at the discretion of law enforcement to make that choice. And so that leads me to kind of how to, I wonder how police officers and law enforcement make that decision, right? Do you, or is it like a straight up recipe or? I'm not sure. I'm, sure, there, I'm sure there's some judgment involved. Um, I'm sure, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how much. The other thing that, you know, so that's not, from what I understand, and I'm not an expert, but, but that's, sure. that's not like classic restorative justice in terms of involving the victim and, and all that and, and trying to, to come to a solution or a reasonable agreement based on everybody, all the players involved. Um, but in a way it is because the community and, and you know, look at all the, the, the things that can, can stem from addiction, you know, in terms of stealing or, or you know, low level crimes. And, and so it is kind of making, making amends and making, making things better. If that okay. person doesn't go back out and, and commit those same crimes, right. then, then in a way that is repairing you know, a, a victim in, in the community. Sure. And I'm, I'm looking at the eligibility requirements. So one of the key things is it says eligible offenses include low-level drug offenses mm -hmm. and engaging in prostitution. So this kind of links into, I mean, most people that have engaged or are currently engaging in prostitution, it's related to addiction and alcoholism. Most people are not doing that because they feel like it's the best course of action or the best job or a job with benefits. So let's be honest about this. That said, they said that individuals who have certain violent offenses in their criminal history are ineligible for diversion. And here are hearts. We are not, I'm not the divine, so I don't know whether people can change or not, um, like by looking at someone, but I do know people do change. When they have support and when they have, uh, kind of behavioral changes uh, that is, I guess, administered or implemented or uh, like a way of life where they change the behavior, people are able to recover in a long-term fashion, but also people are able to change their, their behaviors. Because if you're chasing a drink or a drug, you're going to be behaving in a different manner than if you don't have that if you no longer have that affliction, if you will. So, and even some violent offenders, that has been kind of the background or the reason why. And at the same time, it's really important to keep safety mm -hmm. and make sure that safety is an, 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 um, a really important part of the equation um, because it's not okay to release, I mean, I'm still reeling because I think Brock Turner just recently got released and I it just makes me want to throw up in my mouth and I re-listened to 
one of my favorite people on the planet, uh, John Pavlovitz. He is a pastor, and he wrote a letter to Brock Turner's father. Mm. And he was very clear about his position on it. And while he said, I appreciate your love for your son, like I have a love for my son, Mm -hmm. your son is not the victim. The victim is the victim, you know, and... I appreciated him stepping up and speaking out against that because in situations like that, and this has happened multiple times over, and we don't even know the extent of it because we don't start by believing, which is a campaign that we have going on in Washtenaw County with sexual assault uh, in particular um, and domestic violence. We don't start by believing. You know, we ask the wrong victim shaming and victim blaming questions, and so a lot of survivors are unwilling or feel unable to report the crimes that have been committed against them. Mm -hmm. And so violent offenders, it is a slightly different conversation that we need to have, I would say. Absolutely. So what led to your uh, interest in restorative justice? I know you're studying social work, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there there is that piece too um definitely but but i think as as a person in long-term recovery from a substance use disorder i remember how it was for me either in school or you know with with parents or whatever and and punitive just never worked for me it just never worked for me i just made me sneakier and and i didn't it would have had to be some very severe consequences to to force me to change i think and and I respond so much better to, well, how can we fix this? How can we move forward when it's a, a positive sort of addressing it in, in the most positive way possible? I respond much better to that. And I imagine I'm not the only person like that. So um, I believe that it's effective. When I heard about the LEAD program and looked into that, I can see why and how it would work. And, and um, you know, even in, in terms of, not to bring it back to, addiction again but you know I will because it's totally absolutely I I mean and that that's what we talk about in this podcast social justice and but we have eliminating stigma right no and but we haven't been able to incarcerate our way out of that problem so looking at other options or finding other solutions it's something that we need to do because people are dying and people people lose their lives in other ways too you know to with um mandatory minimum sentences or or the three strikes laws is that is that really really helping you know maybe if it is getting a, a, a unrepentant violent person off the street sure but but we're not even doing that properly right well, Rock Turner terms- is a violent offender I mean right <laughs> yeah he raped someone who was unconscious and two people caught him. and two so people caught him yeah. <laughs> so and he's off he's out living his life right. yep. you know because the judge didn't want to disturb his life. Well, he has disturbed plenty of people's lives. And like, the victim didn't get a say in that nope. either. The justice system, even though it, it happens in a courthouse and people can attend, and, and certainly the you know the victim might be there, or the victim might give testimony, the jury's there, and, and all that, it can still, even if you're in the same room, be very far removed from, right. from you being able to have an effect on that. The victim, from what I could tell, 
and maybe I'm wrong, but from what I could tell, the victim had very little or no I don't think in the sentencing, for sure. Yeah, she released a victim impact statement that was powerful. Did you get a chance to read? Have you read it? I did. Oh, my goodness, I'll send it to you, and I'll include it in the uh, show notes. Because we're kind of all over the place because this has an impact on society, right? Um, As a woman, I need to be more aware of my space than I would say a man. And so I am using gendered language, um, and anyone in between, I, I, I do, I am more mindful, you know, um, I don't walk around in fear. And at the same time, I'm very mindful of, I remember in working in, um, primary care, I always would sit next to the door when I have a male patient in the room and it's just me. Mm-hmm. And if that was a patient that I felt was not the, I didn't feel the most comfortable, I would either opt to see them with another, like a colleague, one of the providers, or I would leave the door cracked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because my safety is the most important thing when it comes to that. Uh, and so that wasn't a regular occurrence, however, sometimes was and so I would just be mindful you know of of the space and so when we talk about you know these things a lot of things intersect with restorative justice right is someone giving a fair opportunity to change their lives based on the fact that they have one color skin compared to another color skin or maybe because they call their god one thing compared to another thing um Or even if they are, they don't identify in a binary gender, you know, um, male, female, maybe they identify with something else or their sexuality is on a spectrum. So it's hard to say with human beings because we come to the table with our own lived experience, which I don't think should necessarily be invalidated. And at the same time, if you come from an area where you haven't had very much uh, exposure to all different kinds of people, you may have a limited worldview and may not be able to make the best choice mm-hmm. in terms of evaluating someone's ability to change. Because that's one thing, as I've studied and done uh, you know, a lot of these interviews with people in long-term recovery, one thing across the board in terms of 12-step recovery in particular. So there are multiple pathways of recovery. However, 12-step, it appears that people are able to come as they are, all different colors, creeds, um, and the focus isn't on that, but it's on the recovery itself. And so that is one positive thing, and what I've seen is that people do recover. Mm -hmm. Now, in other scenarios, if someone hasn't gone that path, right? And it's left to another human being who may have a limited scope in terms of their own life experience. Who knows if they'll be given or extended the grace to change, which leads me to when people talk about being pro-life, it annoys me to no end because most people are not truly pro-life. They're like obsessed with birth happening and then they no longer are pro-life and so they're not really concerned that because I can't imagine how a society would feel comfortable and good about people sitting and rotting in prison 
well, there are people that society considers disposable, either overtly or covertly. Sure. You know, whether it's it's spoken or unspoken, there are there are people <laughs> that that society as a whole considers disposable, um, based on socioeconomic status, yep. skin color. I mean, it just it, it's still something that that we struggle with, certainly in this country. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It it breaks my heart too because the facts are not that and that's one of the reasons I read Humans of New York at the end of the podcast is because everyone has something to say right so that is a fact and at the same time I as I've maintained (laughs) I'm not really listening to an all wrong movement person or like a white supremacist person like and I'm going to speak out and I will always speak out against all of the isms like with it whether it's bigoted speech transphobic or Islamophobic speech sexist speech or um, like any hate speech racist speech I'm not going to endorse that and I'm not going to give it (laughs) room or a platform Everything else, though, whether we agree or disagree, most everyone that doesn't engage in that select speech that I just named has a voice and has something to contribute. Mm-hmm. You totally. know, so silencing people based on errors, and granted, not everyone commits nonviolent. Like the majority of people aren't committing crimes, mm-hmm. so we're not. We're also not suggesting that people get a pat on the back. It's like when people say, well, I take care of my kids. Like a man says, I take care of my kids. I'm like, well, you're supposed to take care of your damn kids. You know, like, I pay child support. That's what you're supposed to do. If you're not with them 100% of the time and the judge or the court has said that you need to pay child support, that's appropriate. Or I've never been to jail. You're not supposed to go to jail. Like, you don't get a start for that. (laughs) However, if you have made a mistake in your life and you legit want to do the next right thing, I think there should be room for that, room mm-hmm. for growth. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting to me is you said there's a high rate of recidivism in Washtenaw County. Mm-hmm. And Washtenaw County seems to be so progressive mm-hmm. in so many other areas because we talked about this before that over 400 health professionals or community um, Leaders, I would say, in various fields. So some in therapy, some in uh, detox recovery uh, field, some in uh, healthcare, mm-hmm. are able to administer naloxone, right. the or Narcan is what is also known as, which is a drug that was created or its effects help to reverse overdose with opioids, and. Oftentimes when you say that someone's overdosed and they live to tell about it, that drug has been administered to reverse those the effects of that and then they um, are oftentimes cared for in a healthcare setting like a hospital or ER or emergency department. So how do we bring it together? Because if they're really progressive in the one sense, how can people like you and I kind of help facilitate or get them on the right track 
Uh, they're doing it. They're doing a lot of incredible things. We talked a bit about the outreach mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. Last that's time, true. And that's folks with with lived experience. I was an outreach worker for a couple of years, and that that's folks with lived experience. So former felons, folks in recovery, helping those who are currently struggling with those with those issues, and um, to do the the outreach and community education events. Um, to to have an outreach worker in in the jail in. Uh, the registration area of the jail to to that's assess cool. folks and and to link them up with resources when they're getting ready to go. That's incredibly powerful. Um, so we we are doing a, a lot of good things. I think to just continue that work and continue communication, building up with with other organizations, link up with you know they're they're linking up with hospitals now. The outreach program to to have outreach workers in the emergency departments mentioned emergency departments, mm-hmm. things like that, you know, to help with that, to help fill in some of those gaps in sure. care. Um, like when somebody overdoses and is revived with naloxone, what happens after that? What kind of follow through happens um, sure. after that? And to, to follow up with them, to provide them, you know, at least at least the, uh, let them know that, that there is non-judgmental support available to them mm-hmm. when and if they're ready. And, and that that can just be incredibly powerful yeah Um, I mean that's one of the things that safe house center does too I mean in people's darkest hours they don't need judgment they need information mm -hmm. and support really right resources and support and to feel like they have some semblance of control over Mm -hmm. what's going on so that they can do the next right thing for themselves and Mm -hmm. so that's what we do uh you know, the volunteers of Safe House Center do to ensure that people feel connected to mm-hmm. the community and that they can uh, come up with a plan that works for them and any loved ones that needs to be a part of, you know, that discussion as well. So, right. yeah, that's awesome that they're at the emergency department because the community really benefits when people are contributing to society. Mm-hmm. to society. I'm reading uh, one of the books that so the last time we talked I started with two dear friends. We started last month the it's a social justice book club so it's called hashtag hope rising mm-hmm. online book club and so our first book was called is called We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Adichie and the second book we're reading right now is called Two Dollars a Day. So the people, the folks that are living on two dollars a day oh in America, yeah, it's called Two Dollars oh. a Day Living on Almost Nothing in America. And so it's a really powerful book. It opened my eyes to a lot of different things, and you know, just even like on the back, it says this woman's family of four would have no income if she didn't sell her plasma twice a week. Mm at a local uh, donation center and others like that this other woman and her teenage daughter have gone for days without with nothing to eat but spoiled milk and Mm -hmm. so just what people what's actually happening Mm -hmm. in the U.S. and it's not because necessary people are not great people it's like a larger deeper issue so when people are struggling with alcoholism and addiction or even having a record 
Mm-hmm. Right? That can bar people from a lot of different employment types. Employment and, and housing. And housing. And a lot of people aren't willing to give people a second opportunity. So what do you really expect is going to happen? And not saying... Like, when you know better, you do better. But a lot of these people that I'm reading about in this book, mm-hmm. and I could translate it. So it's not, let's say it wasn't just people living in deep, deep poverty. Mm-hmm. We're talking about people that have records, mm-hmm. that have turned their lives around, right? Uh, that are doing their very best and are applying for 100, 200, 300 jobs and are getting turned down. 100, 200, 300 times. Yeah. And then people... The box. Yep, you have to check the box. And sometimes when people don't check the box and it's found out later, they're relieved from that job. Mm-hmm. So how do we really expect as a society, as a nation, to support people when we're not supporting people? How do we expect that people are going to pull themselves up from their damn bootstraps when they don't have boots? Like this... These are real issues, you know, these are real problems, and it's not just those people over there. It's us right here, you know? Um, well, and I can tell you, too, that it, it even, even personally, it really does work because the sheriff's office gave me a chance. I mean, they're law enforcement. Totally. You know, for goodness sakes, they're law enforcement, yeah. and they were willing to hire, and I hate to even use this phrase because it is stigmatizing, but, but someone like me, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and, I was amazed when I, um, when I actually put together a resume. I have a resume that's unbelievable, and it's thanks to the sheriff's office. They totally. they gave me a chance. They gave me a job. They helped me build those the even the soft skills that I needed, and and um, and and gain things skills that I can put on a resume as well. And it, it has kept me out of trouble, or helped to keep me out of that's trouble, right. along with other things, but. Um, you know, now I'm a, a productive citizen who's, like you said, is going into social work. So here, it all it comes full it circle. It all right? comes full circle. Somebody gave me a chance, and now here I'm coming back around to help the community. So, and even with your, you know, having been um, a community, what was it, engagement leader, or what were you, outreach, what, worker. outreach yeah. worker? You know, you still were paying it forward because someone at a certain point, you know, as you shared in your story, you got the help that you needed Mm -hmm. and you became a person that was willing to do something completely different than what you had been doing so that you can have a life that's completely different than the life you led before. And that's really a gift. And quite honestly, it's a miracle. And so, yes, you've done some work. However, it's a beautiful thing that there's been some extra help too, right? Um, I really have started to strongly dislike the term self-made mm-hmm. person because I'm like, I don't, don't I do think that's, a, alone. that's yeah. a bunch of crap. It it's, is. It, it's not true. <laughs> it is. You know, and so certain people have said that because I don't know why, I guess that it makes them feel good about themselves, but no one does it alone. You know, it's so important to have community and have support and I don't even mean just financial support that's great too if that makes sense however just having support someone in your corner that says Ashton you can totally do this you know or the next person you can totally do this that is really powerful and impactful to other people because it's inspiring you know Mm -hmm. and someone else that you know maybe has the role now um, can look to you as 
like a mentor or even someone who is struggling trying to get find their way to recovery can look and see that people do recover mm -hmm. and they are doing something meaningful in their lives so even if it seems really scary they that could be the thing that they need to put one foot in front of the other it's interesting my um my friend that i interviewed she the one that teaches yoga uh Rachel and so she was talking about well actually what I noticed about this prison in Ohio uh, it's the Marion Rehabilitation and Correctional Facility and they're one of the few prisons still in the US that has retained the name the word rehabilitation in their name most have taken that out because they recognize that they are not providing any rehab <laughs> they are simply housing and babysitting grown adults that could contribute back well, into their society. Well, they've become the de facto uh, mental illness and, and addiction. Uh, in addition, yes. Well. Yeah, so, yes, you know. it, it's so true and it's so sad uh, that that is what's going on. And this is, friends, these are where our research, like, we can do something. I mean, I think I've become more of an activist, Ashton, than when we last spoke. <laughs> I've been posting a lot. Mm -hmm. I've been a posting political patriot, and I'm so grateful to have this passion and a fire under my ass to do something because I feel like I coasted for probably eight years because I didn't have to worry. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. That said, um, what I can tell you is now I'm aware of everything. I am watching everything. I am watching like a hawk. And so if there is something that I know that we can do collectively if we want to change things is we get to get out and vote. We get to be mindful of the people that are representing us in Washington, D.C. And we get to vote with our dollars too. And so if there are nonprofits that are doing the work that's incredibly powerful work, please get tickets to their galas. You know, even if you can't come, donate it to someone, you know, donate the ticket, buy the ticket and give it away or contribute to silent auction items or, you know, just set up an appointment with someone to um, see what people are doing around your community because you might find some unsung heroes that are doing really great work with the community that you had no idea was going on and you might find a passion that you didn't even realize you had. I mean, I didn't know that I liked talking to people as much as I do mm -hmm. and learning things from people and I get feedback from you all that listen on a regular basis that you feel inspired to do your own work and that is really, really cool. So. Sadly, we have to wrap up soon. Um, any last thoughts, Ashton? Um, as usual, I think it's it's just about leaving folks with the idea that, that there is hope for people as long as we're still breathing. Um, anybody with a substance use disorder, there's hope for us and there's hope for you know others as well to, to mm -hmm. be able to build our communities better and to... to I mean that's that's what we should be doing is all, is is helping each other to live better, more productive totally. lives, and and it just it boggles my mind that that we're still stuck in a lot of ways and in in a punitive form, strictly almost strictly punitive yeah. form of of 
justice, justice but, yeah. but you know we're getting there and, and people are, are trying new things so hopefully that'll continue yeah definitely and one last thing I thought about because you brought up mental illness and that's definitely something that I love to talk about because I want to eliminate the stigma attachment to that too a lot of times people who are not getting the care they need for their mental illness are committing crimes or are self-medicating and that's oftentimes tied to substance use disorder um, and other things too. So the person that you think is doing something may or may not be doing it for the reason you think they are. So it's really important to continue to humanize people um, in most respects and be aware and remember our compassion, empathy uh, hats, right? Because we're all connected whether we want to believe it or not. So thanks so much for coming on and chatting with me again. Thanks for having me back. This was a short and sweet one, but I'll bring Ashton back on in another, I don't know, 20 episodes or so, (laughs) 15 episodes. So I have three seems like dudes, guys, and it says, we're hoping to get some funding from angel investors before telling our parents we aren't going to college. Oh, that's funny. So they're in New York and they're not going to college, but they want investors, angel investors for funding for something that I'm sure is going to be fabulous. Then a young girl or a young woman, it says, my sister was never scared. In fact, she was always comforting my mother. Even while she was getting chemotherapy, she'd be patting my mother on the arm and saying everything is going to be okay. The night she died, we knew something was wrong because she asked to read with us. She'd normally choose to play with toys while my mother read to me. But that night, she asked if she could read with us. And then, let's see. Last one is uh, what appears to be a man. It says, I'm trying to figure out what direction I should be moving in. And then was asked, what direction are you currently moving in? His response, I'm not sure I'm moving. And last one. Both my kids will have graduated from college in four and a half years, and I'm heading to Mexico. I'm not kidding. Social security goes a long way down there. For $300 a week, I could have a place to stay, a satellite dish, a fishing pole, and some rum. Well, there you have it. (laughs) He doesn't need very much. So I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. So friends, I'm so glad that you were here today. Thanks, as always, for your love and support and feedback. My name is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheekcast, Episode 36. Have a great one. Namaste.